Thank you, guys. Right at the start of this meeting, Kent said, I'm looking forward to how you are all going to encourage me this morning. I really like that. I, I really do. And I have certainly been encouraged by you all this morning as we just join in the presence of God together and the Holy Spirit just moves amongst us. It's amazing. There's no better place to be. Amen? Amen. Well, kia ora. Welcome. And uh, before I start, I just want to see if my faithful Roman soldier made it here this morning. Did he get here, Luke? Yeah, there he did. He did too. He, said, he battled through all my lack of technology and a few hiccups, uh, and, but he finally got here on the screen. I, what do you think of that guy? He's got the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, belt of truth, sword of the spirit, shoes of peace. All from the Holy Spirit out of Ephesians 16. He didn't get them from Ephesians 16. They just described those things. But um, I really like that. And Jesse speaking next week, I might hire it to Jesse. He can't have it for nothing, but um, I might hire it so he can uh, put it put it up there, there away this morning. I've remastered him, but so he can put it up and use it. So we can uh, leave that up there for a little while. Um, but as part of the series on the armor of God, and of course, part of the series of Ephesians, we are going to be looking at the armor of God for the next couple of weeks. And of course, those of you that are in home group started it uh, last week. And I, we had a very small meeting in my office upstairs and had an amazing time. And what was exciting for me is I was able to steal some of the comments that people made at that meeting and put them into my sermon. So thank you very much. Um, I do appreciate that. So I hope all of you got a lot out of it. We're excited about this series and what it's going to bring. So I want to start with a comment which was made by Jean Kowak. Now, probably most of you haven't heard of him nor had I until I found his comment, but he's the Orthodox Bishop from Damascus. And he was asked to give an address to the Pope in Rome and, and all the people working with the Pope. And he began his address by saying this, We are not resigned to the darkness of evil. We are not people of resignation or despair. Christians are the people of faith and hope. I really like it so much that I'm going to read it again. We are not resigned to the darkness of evil. We are not people of resignation or despair. Christians are the people of faith and hope. And this may seem an unusual way to start a series on the armor of God. Because many people, when they hear about the armor of God, <coughs> think automatically of defense. Now, I want to suggest to you, and although the armor does provide a, a defense, I want to suggest to you that this has nothing to do with the armor of God. God is not obsessed with the devil. God is not frightened by Satan, nor is evil God's primary focus. 
And if evil is not God's primary focus, nor should it be our primary focus. God's primary focus is gathering a people to his name and empowering them by the Holy Spirit to go out on a mission. You can make that word plural, missions, whatever you perceive that to be. Don't just think about all the wonderful things that we've already heard from Ben and Jenny and what other people do and around overseas. Your mission can be right in your home and your neighborhood and your workplace and whatever. But God empowered us. God's focus of calling a people together is they would take the gospel of the kingdom and express it into every arena of life. That is our purpose. So... And that's what we are meant to be down. So, so Christianity, the heart of Christianity is not about defense. The heart of Christianity is about offense, and sometimes it's offensive to people. That's not really the way God intended it to be. But it's about us being on a mission, us waking up in the morning and saying, the zeal for my father's house consumes me so much to the point I have got to get out of my bed. I have got to engage into the world and I have got to express everything that God has put into me somehow into everything that I am doing. Now, In the context of that, God talks about armor. Now, the first amazing thing, and sorry, Luke, I'm bouncing around a bit, but if we can put up Isaiah 15, verse 16 to 17, the first amazing thing we learn is that God wears armor. Now, there's nothing that I know about God and read about God and understand about God that suggests he's on defense, worried and trying to fend off the troubles of life. I believe he is an awesome warrior. When Jesus returns, it says that strong men's hearts are going to faint and before him, they're going to go immediately into coronary arrest when they are faced not by the lamb who was slain, but the lion of Judah who returns. So why would he wear armor? Isaiah 59, 16 to 17, it says, and he saw that there was no man. And one was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him and his righteousness upheld him. There's a whole message in that that I'd love to do one day. Verse 17, he put on righteousness like a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. That's not someone on defense, brothers and sisters. God's clothing himself with armor, not for defense. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. He's going somewhere. He's on a mission. So the great news is that God wears armor and he makes this armor available to us. God's very own armor armor that he wears, he gives to us. 
And his intention is that we use it for the same purpose he uses it for, to go out on a mission. However, God's armor is part of who he is. And that's his ultimate goal for us. But we have to put it on externally first. So the goal is that it will become part of who we are. But initially we have to learn about it and learn how to wear it. And and this is hopefully what we're doing over the, the course of this series. Also, and I will give credit, it was Justine Lee who shared this. We wear God's armor because we belong to him. The Roman soldiers wear armor depicting the fact that they belong to Rome. We wear armor reflecting that we belong to God. So the point that we really need to grasp is that we put on the armor because we're about to go out on advance. We're about to go out on a mission. We're about to go out and on the offensive and do things not to defend ourselves from an enemy we're in fear of. So, having said all of that, let's go and read the verses. Um, The passage we're working, which you all know, is Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. I'm only going to read 10 to 13. It says, finally, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. But this last part of the verse is so key. And having done everything to stand firm. So what we're finding here is that we are called that after having done everything, we are to stand firm. So what does having done everything mean? See, it's taken for granted that whatever battle we're in, our victory is assured. And I've said this before. What army wouldn't want to go out to battle knowing they couldn't lose? That the ultimate victory is assured because of what Christ accomplished through his death and his resurrection. And we did cover some of this in some of our earlier teachings out of Ephesians 1. So it's obvious we're in a battle. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. And the battle will have some very fierce engagements in it. And all of you here have been in some of those fierce engagements. And some of you have got battle scars and wounds and various other things as a result of that. But if we learn the way of the master... When the battle is even at its fiercest, we will still be able to hold the line even amongst the most determined counter-attack. I am using the word counter-attack. You see, the main ploy of the enemy is that he has to counter-attack. He shouldn't be attacking us as we retreat. God does not build forts 
The gates of hell spoken about in Matthew 16 is meant to be about Satan trying to keep us out, not about us trying to prevent being attacked by him. So in verse 11, it talks about the evil day mentioned here. And that's not about the approaching death, which all of us will face if Jesus doesn't return. It's not about this great big so-called Armageddon war at the end of the age. It describes that when things are at their worst, which all of you and I have faced already in our lifetime. And what is being said here, what Paul's trying to communicate is that when the ferocity of the attack is over and it always stops after a period of time because 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God guarantees us that we won't be tempted beyond what we are able. Psalm 23, God promises us he will give us time when we will know his peace, know his rest and get to rest up. And if you are not doing that one day in seven, you are putting yourself at risk. So we're always going to have that times. So when the ferocity of the attack, the attack is over, we can be confident if we have the armor of God and doing the calling of God that we will not have lost one inch of territory that we have previously gained in Christ. Christ's disciples will have done everything, not only in preparing for the conflict, but also in embracing it. Didn't you love the song that we sang, Have Done Anything? I stand. Stand where? Before the throne of God, in the presence of the King, in the shelter and the covering provided for us by a fearsome warrior who the enemy trembles at every time he hears his name. That's where we stand. The Greek verb used to have done everything has to do, was used back in that time around achievements in war or in the Roman arena, not only just for fighting animals, but for sports events and all of those other things. And the verb talks about having overcome all. And although this doesn't mean that there is more to do and it doesn't mean that the battle is over and the battle will not be over for us until Christ returns, we're in this battle for as long as we're breathing on this earth. But it does mean that at that point in time we have achieved everything that God expected to us to achieve right then and we are holding a position of strength and in that we find rest. See, I don't want to get off topic here, but not only do we advance, we're meant to be protecting the territory that God's already given us. So if he tells you that you have been washed clean and you are continually being washed clean by his blood, the territory we have to hold on to is that we will not be ashamed. We will not be cast down. We will not listen to the lies the enemy would feed into our head that we're not saved, that we're not loved, that we're not valued. See, once we get that territory, we have to hold it. And the armor helps us do that. Verse 12 tells us our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and the powers and principalities of this world. 
spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. See, the fact that we are so often dismayed at the issues of life. We so often say, I'm having hassles at work and people are not being nice to me or treating me well and I can't understand this. In my early life, when I went off to school, my wonderful dad, who is here this morning, was out working hard and so I spent most of my time in those first five years with my mum. There was no kindergarten in Upper Hutt when I grew up. So I went off to school out of a loving, caring, wonderful home environment and some of the kids were nasty to me. And I would come home and say to my mum, why would people want to do that to me? Why do they want to be nasty? Why do they want to say nasty things to me? And for a while I just couldn't cope with it. And oh, to live in a world, which we one day will, where that doesn't happen for all of us. And may God help clean up my speech because I have said nasty things to other people. So let's put all of this out where it belongs. But see, what Paul's trying to teach us here is although things in our everyday life may be a hassle and a struggle, when it really gets ugly, we will invariably find that principalities and powers of wickedness and heavenly places are behind this thing. Sometimes I know that life is just a struggle. Sometimes it gets so ugly that I say, this is more than just the normal events of life. Somebody who hates me, and I'm talking about demonic presence, somebody, a principality and power has got to be behind this because it's just too ugly. And one of the things I'm trying to do more is discern. Is this just something I'm working through? Is this just an everyday event of life and it's still good to pray about all those things? Or is there an enemy lurking here that I need to go after with aggression in Christ's name because we are not meant to tolerate his attacks? We do have issues of life which are difficult, but we're not meant to tolerate the enemy's enemy's attacks. But we have to discern them first because we can't see him. It's very hard to go into battle against an enemy we cannot see. But in Christ, not only can we see him, we can overcome him in the power of his word. So the weapons of Satan are both spiritual and carnal. They do invade our natural life. Not everything that goes wrong, not everything that's difficult or hard is Satan. But some of it is. And we need to know and learn the difference because he knows our weaknesses. He knows our points of vulnerability and he will exploit them at every opportunity and only the armor of God can withstand this. Here's a question that I have often asked, although I think I know the answer. What allows Satan to be so effective? Compared to Jesus, Satan is poor, blind, weak, insignificant, defeated, overcome. And so therefore, how come he gets the success he does? See, it's not his power or his vigilance or his cunningness. Because compared to Christ, that's nothing. Absolutely nothing. But the answer, I believe, is our willfulness. He gets us on board with him. 
My son Carl makes the statement that I've never forgotten. It's deeply penetrated me. What an amazing tool the enemy has when he can speak to us in our own voice. Because I can hear the voice in my head, Bruce, you're useless, you're nothing, you're no one. And I think it's me when it's him. And we have to be able to discern when he is making those statements and say, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Because God says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I am the apple of his eye. And that's got to kick in when those voices are going off in my head. It's my voice speaking them, but it's not me. And we need to understand this. So let's go to the armor and have a look at some of the things that we're told to do. The first one in verse 14, I'm going through three of them and Jesse's doing three next week. Uh, The first one in verse 14 is gird your loins with truth. Now, we need to understand that before a Roman soldier puts on his armor, he puts on a belt or a girdle around his waist. So this is not really part of the armor. But it plays such a significant role because it holds all the other pieces of the armor together. And interestingly, it was also where the soldiers would put all their personal issues and items, their money, their purse, whatever, they clipped all of those to the belt as well, their writing instruments and other things. So the point that we need to make clear, we've got to have this girdle of truth around us, but listen, brothers and sisters, the truth being talked about here is not the Bible you have on your shelf or your iPhone. The truth that is being talked about here is the measure of truth and integrity you have in your heart. See, ultimately, because the kingdom of God comes from the inside out, ultimately what is inside of us is what we are going to produce. We may be able to put on some things externally, but under pressure, who we really are, what we have built within us, what we have allowed the Holy Spirit to redeem and sanctify, or what we haven't given him access to yet will come out in our lives for all of us. And this truth is what is demonstrated in our actions in every part of life. And it is a show-me, not a tell-me concept. If you can't demonstrate it, you don't have it. What's it like to be around you? Are you full of integrity? Do you keep your word? If you say you're going to be somewhere at a certain time and a better offer comes up, do you turn it down because you're saying, no, I need to be a person of integrity and truth and I have made that commitment. Years ago now, God really challenged me. I offered to help a guy, he's not in this church anymore, but he was, with his lawns and everything around his home. Well, that was a good thing to do. Just as I was patting myself on the back, somebody rung me out out of the blue and asked me if I would go in. They had a couple of tickets to a rugby test in Wellington. These were the days when rugby was played on a Saturday. Well, I can't tell you what went through my head. I even prayed for rain so the guy would cancel doing his lawns. 
But, again, the Holy Spirit brought me back to, Bruce, what degree of truth and integrity is in you? And it wasn't sufficient that I went and mowed his lawns. I did. But what God wanted to wrestle more with me is my attitude that I didn't even go and do it despondently or bitterly, that I took joy in being with him and doing what I had committed myself to do despite what the cost. That's the level of integrity God is calling us to. In my father's day, it's still very much in his heart today, you just do business with a handshake. And whatever the deal, if you've shaken hands, you will die before you go back on it. Do you realize that used to be prevalent in our society? We didn't need legal contracts with 15 pages in them that you've got to initial every page and sign everything. Why do you have to initial every page? Because otherwise you could say in court, ha, I didn't initial that one, so I'm not going to stand by it. I didn't agree to it. Business for hundreds of years was done just on a handshake, and it was unthinkable to go back on it. Our heart, I know we can't do that today in in the sense it's not going to work like that, but our heart should be the same. It's the truth, this girdle is the truth that brings freedom to ourselves, brings freedom to our neighbors because they can trust us, brings freedom to people who are doing business deals. I had to laugh years ago in the service station. One of the mechanics was running a car back for a guy that was dealing with us. And he said, oh, I always bring my car to the service station because the guy's a Christian. And the mechanic, who wasn't, said, oh, right, are you a Christian too? And he said, no, 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 no. But he said, look, you always try and find Christians because they're too frightened of God to rip you off. <laughs> Now, do you know what part of me said, and I'm sorry about this, I'll apologize in advance. Part of me said, Lord, I wish that was true. Because in many cases, brothers and sisters, it's not. I appreciate the comment, but in many cases, it's not. So, the belt of truth is about our integrity and righteousness. Is it in Christ? Yes. Is it from Christ? Yes. But it must be incarnated into our being so it comes out in every dealings of life we have, even if money is involved. Moving on, the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, This breastplate was normally made of bronze, very heavy, and it protected a soldier's chest from the enemy's attacks. See, righteousness is closely aligned with truth. The breastplate sits closely to the belt or the girdle of truth. And obviously it covers the heart. Now I want to make two quick points here. Firstly, one of them is obvious. That not only does it guard our heart against the salts of the devil, which James 4 verse 7 tells us it does but it also empowers us to produce the heart of God. It's not just defense. We put the breastplate of righteousness upon us so we can produce the heart of God and deal with the unrighteous or unredeemed heart that is in all of us from birth. It's multi-purpose. Any lack of integrity 
that comes from our heart will expose us to the ways of the enemy. And the Bible is full of examples, and so is our Christian world, brothers and sisters. See, David's sin with Bathsheba was an exposure of what was in his heart. Judas' betrayal of Christ was an exposure of what was in his heart. And so many wonderful men and women of God in ministry and leadership all in the kingdom of God fell at certain times because it was exposed what was in their heart that had never been dealt with. Now here's something that frightens me and I'm going to pass it on to you. When the enemy sees a chink in our armor, he's not just going to flippantly exploit it. He is going to wait until we are at the peak of our influence, the peak of what we're able to produce, the peak of how we are influencing and affecting people and the environment around us. And then he pulls on it, then, because not only does he pull us down, he pulls down so much of what is around us. Now, here is the problem. If we are harboring sin in our heart, if we have issues that we haven't brought in the light, and we think, well, we're just getting away with them and everything is fine, beware, the enemy knows they're there and he's waiting for the time when he can do the most damage to the kingdom of God and then he will pull on them. Our anecdote to that is to deal with our stuff on a day-by-day-by-day basis as led by the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go into our closet and hunt out all the skeletons that are in there. We don't have to live every day focusing on evil. The Bible calls us to live every day focusing on Christ and his righteousness. But whenever the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something in our life, we need to deal with it. Otherwise, the enemy will pull it in his time. And so much comes tumbling down, and we've seen enough of that. I don't have to get into the description of all of that. To neglect what we know to be righteous action is to leave a gaping hole in our armor and we'll ultimately pay a big price for that, and so will Christ. Because it's his name that gets pulled down as well, and we all know enough about that. So when we have the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness on, we have the church's basic equipment of integrity and righteous living, and they are effective because these qualities bear the stamp of Jesus and the new creation that he's bought, and it will be produced in our lives, and it will impact those around us and the world around us. And that's got to be something that's very exciting. Amen? This is not just about defense, brothers and sisters. This is about going out there and expressing who Christ is into every aspect of life. Okay, the last one I'm doing this morning, the gospel of peace. See, once the breastplate has been put into position, the soldier puts on his strong boots, strong army boots. 
and they're described as shoes thickly studded with sharp nails. So what the Roman soldiers would do, they would get their shoes and they would hammer nails into them and then file them off, but they would leave them there as a point. Now, climbers wear them today a little bit more sophisticated than that, but so they have nails or hobnails through them so they can get a better grip. Now, one of the things any soldier knows, you talk to anyone in the army and say, what is one of the key things of your uniform that you must have? And they'll say their boots. Many of you may have watched some of the programs when the armies are out training and they take their boots off and you see all these horrible, ugly blisters and everything because their boots are not properly protecting their feet. You cannot move an army forward if, you don't, if they don't have good footwear. I have spent a lot of time in the bush and the forest and the hills of New Zealand. And I know how important good footwear is. So this is very important for the soldier. So what are these shoes? It's called the gospel of peace. How come? Because in our duty and in our calling, we have to be prepared to walk over some rough terrain and some rough ground and there's going to be thorns and thistles and sharp stones and all sorts of things which will be laid out for us. And some of them may have even been put there deliberately by the enemy. See, his view is if he cuts our feet, if he robs us of our peace, we will limp. And we will struggle to go forward. And we will just want to retreat and rest up. Now, rest is good when it is in the right time. But it's not good for an army to want to rest when the attack is raging everywhere. So the peace which the gospel brings, and brothers and sisters, you've got to get into the word of God to get this. There is no other alternative The Holy Spirit brings it to life and builds it within us, but you've got to get into the Word of God to get this peace. That's where it's found. The peace which it brings enables us to walk through any trial or any trouble that meets us, and the peace that we carry is found in many places, but none better than Romans 8, 28, when it says, My God will cause everything to work together for good according to the love I have for him in my heart. See, our reassurance is not that we're going to win every battle, but our reassurance is Jesus has already won the war. And one of the things that has come to light in recent times that I love about the cross is it's not just about Jesus' death on the cross. It's about the resurrection which brings new life through me and you into the world and into every situation that we face. What brings us peace? The reassurance that God is with us. The reassurance that he is a mighty warrior. The reassurance that the enemy has been defeated. The reassurance that we have a plan and a purpose for our lives that God set in place beforehand and only our lack of faithfulness walking before him can rob it from us. And it comes with peace. I'm in turmoil at the moment, but I'm trusting in God because he wouldn't leave me in this situation alone if it wasn't ultimately building me up and ultimately bringing glory to him. 
That's got to be on our feet as we walk forward in every situation. See, this Christian journey can be a hard and a rough one. It's also full of joy and good times and fun and laughter and wonderful things as well. But everybody in this room that I know has some scars from being on this journey. And if we do not have God's peace on our feet, which goes into our heart, we won't be able to endure all the obstacles. But if we learn to walk in peace and walk in patience, and isn't that a challenge? But if we do, we will not only overcome the difficulties, we'll lay hold of everything that God has for us in them because so much of what comes through trials and tribulations builds an eternal weight of glory in our hearts. And that's a good thing, right? So we've got to constantly reassure ourselves that God has all things under his control. And he's guiding us by his Holy Spirit and he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. So as I finish off, I want to make this statement and thank you again guys for all the worship but that wonderful song that we stand. Paul calls us to take a stand. He calls us to hold our ground. He calls us to take hold of the territory we've already gained and not lose it. See, if we stand on the crown of the hill in Christ, the enemy has got to keep coming uphill to attack. He's at a huge disadvantage in doing that. The strong position that Paul has in mind is our union with Christ, who's ahead of all things, who stands far above all principalities and powers, and the resurrecting power of God is at work in us on his behalf. So the armor and the weapons are God's very own and it's to him that we belong and it's to him that we are assured of victory. And the wonderful scripture says, but 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Can I have the worship team up here again, please? See, so here's the point that I want to make. Firstly, we're on a mission. We're not about defense. We are the answer not only to this planet's problems. If Adam and Eve had never sinned, brothers and sisters, you and I would still have a mandate from God that we are to express on this planet. Do you believe that? If Adam and Eve had never sinned, we still had a mandate for God, Genesis 1, 27, 28, you can start from there. We still have a mandate from God to do something with this planet. That mandate still exists. It's not a focus on evil. It's a focus on God's calling in our lives, what he's charged us with doing, and how he celebrates seeing us doing it. But there is evil. And if we don't deal with the stuff in our heart when the Holy Spirit calls up to us to be dealt with, he will trigger it off at the most devastating time in our life. And there are broken marriages, broken homes, broken lives, broken businesses. And I could go on because the people have held stuff in their heart and at the prime time the enemy's triggered it. Don't go there. At that point he's a fearsome foe. At that point, he is. But our God is a warrior. 
always leading us forward, always being our rear guard. So I want to encourage the worship team to play that song that we stand, I'm sorry, I don't know the right name of it, to play that song. And I want to encourage you, if there is anything you want prayer for today, if there's anything you want ministry for, this may just start you on a journey. If you've never made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you come forward and take the opportunity and there are leaders here unto people to pray with you. Otherwise, we are finished We uh, bless you all at the end of the song. Enjoy the worship together, then enjoy a coffee in the cafe and whatever else you're going to be doing today. Thank you. God bless you.